that uh, thanks really for that last song. I, um, the first time I ever heard uh, that song, um, above all um, kingdoms and all words I'm bad at that, but anyway, the first time I ever heard that was um, at a church uh, that was doing uh, a passion drama. They were uh, at Easter time um, reenacting. Uh, the Passion Week of Jesus, and uh, that song just has such a powerful memory for me. It was at, at the, the crucifixion, as Jesus was hanging there up on the cross in front of us in the spotlight, and everybody else had kind of faded away, and, and uh, the worship pastor who had a beautiful singing voice started singing that song, and, uh, and just that picture of Jesus hanging there on the cross, and he thought of me. <laughs> I, every time I sing that song, that, that picture comes into my head again. It's just, uh, it's, it's a powerful thought. Um, Jesus loved you so much that he hung there on the cross, paid the penalty. And and of all of the things that were going on, his thought was of you. His, his infinite attention. And, and you say, how can he be thinking about just me when there's millions of other people? As God, his infinite attention is able to be placed on each and every one of us. That's the, the beauty of math, you know, the simple math, that if you take infinity and you divide it in half, you still have infinity. You take infinity and you divide it amongst as many people have ever lived, you still have infinity. Jesus was able to focus his infinite attention on each one of us. And that was his thought as he hung there, was you. It's, it's a, a powerful image, uh, a wonderful promise, and uh, and gives us great hope. And that's that's the heart that that I'm feeling. We we have made it to the upper room um, in, in our study here in John. Uh, we've been going through. We've looked at Jesus throughout all of his uh, interactions in the public and all of the uh, the the. The presentations that he made of, of his love and his truth, and all of those that, that responded and believed in him, but so many more who did not believe, who rejected him, who sought to, to destroy him. And, and all of the turmoil and the ups and downs of all of that, we come to the upper room, and, and, and suddenly it's like everything else stops. And Jesus has this, this beautiful, wonderful, intimate moment with his disciples. Uh, those that he had poured his life into. And, and in, this, in this moment, there is this opportunity for uh, um, an undeniable expression of his love for these men, these women that that he was passing on this torch to, to carry on 
the work of spreading the gospel into the rest of the world. And, and, and even though all of the gospels talk about this upper room experience, John goes into great detail. And we're going to see over um, much of this fall, and, and actually going on, we're, we'll take a break over Christmas, uh, but then in the new year, we are still going to be talking about this interaction that Jesus had with his disciples, because John, this is, this is the culmination of everything that, that has been happening up to this point, and, and, and John wants to capture, you, you could sense the way that he understood the love of God for him, uh, that, that he wants to, to, to capture every, every word that Jesus had to say in this beautiful, intimate moment before the arrest and all the rest of that is about to happen. This, this moment, this time that, he, that Jesus had to spend with his disciples. And, uh, and, and John starts it off with this account of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. He's, he's setting up the stage for us uh, of this, this beautiful, intimate um, experience between Jesus and the disciples. So if you've got your Bible, turn to John chapter 13. And uh, we are going to start reading at verse 1 and, and just go to, uh, to verse 17. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That's, that's the frame. That's, that's how John is setting this moment up. He is showing that intimacy, that compassion, that, that brotherly love, that agape love that Jesus had for his disciples, that he loved them to the end. So during the supper, when the the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God and he was going back to God, Jesus rose from the supper. He laid aside his undergarments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist, then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter and said, Lord, do, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I'm doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. So Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. So Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, 
not every moment, for he knew who was to betray him. That's why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet, he put on his outer garments and resumed his place, and he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and, and you are right, for so I am. If I, then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do, just as I have done to you. Truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Um, what, a, what an amazing moment. The, the, the insight that, that Peter had as Jesus is there washing his feet and, and he says, Why? And, and many of you are familiar with the, the reality. We don't do a lot of feet washing in this culture, but, but in that time and in that culture, there was a lot of people that were wearing sandals. And, and as they walked from place to place, there was a lot of dust and grime and, and, and unmentionable things that would end up on their feet. And so you would come into somebody's home and, and, one of the tasks of, of, of the, the servant, one of the, the most lowly servants, would be to greet people at the door. And as an extension of a hospitality of the master, they would come and wash the feet of the guests who were entering into the house, uh, taking all of that grime that they had picked up throughout their day, throughout their journey, washing it away so that they can come to the table clean. They can enter into the house refreshed and washed without having to try and feel, uh, you know, hiding the, the shame and the uncertainty of the stuff that, that stuck to the bottom of their feet. And it was, it was the act of, of the lowliest servant, the one who, who was the bottom of the totem pole, and yet here Peter is seeing his Lord, the one that he had recognized who is the Son of God. How could he allow this perfect person to take on this terribly humiliating task? And he says, Lord, I, you, you will never wash my, my feet. And then Jesus says this all-important phrase. He says, if I don't wash you, you will have no part with me. He was talking much more than just a physical washing of the feet. It wasn't that Jesus was so put off by Peter's dirty feet that he wouldn't hang out with him. He was talking about a much bigger 
bigger picture. And that's one of the reasons why he, he said, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. And that's why John is now including this, because in light of the cross, the crucifixion, that, that humiliation that Jesus endured for our sake, suddenly this act of love became crystal clear. That when Jesus said, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. It is a recognition that each one of us walks in sin. That each one of us carries the grime of our sinful choices, of the, the selfishness, of the, of the pride, of the greed, of the self-centeredness that, that, that characterizes the way that we live. As much as there are wonderful people in this world who do really good things to other people and, and are loving and caring to others, each one of us, if we are honest with ourselves, when we look deep down into our hearts, we recognize that, that ultimately everything we do is motivated by our self-love, by our desire to be most important in life. To be the one who, who, who determines our own destiny and doesn't want to be subject or under the authority of anyone else. And it's that self-centeredness that, that dirties everything that we do. Even the good acts of love and generosity that we can pour out into other people's lives are besmirched. Isn't that a good word? They are, they are dirtied by that dark self-centeredness that's within each of us. And Jesus, in this message to his disciples, is saying that unless I clean, you have no part in We can try all that we want to clean ourselves. There are all kinds of activities that we can try and engage in that that, that perhaps might we might think might be able to clean ourselves up. We can try and do good things to other people. We can be generous and give all that we have to the poor. We can come to religious organizations like this and participate in all of the rituals and all of the 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 activities, the ceremonies that go along with that. We can we can put money into the offering bag as it comes around. Um, we can love our spouse. We can care for our kids and guide them all up. When we, when we hurt somebody, we can go and ask for forgiveness. And all of these things that we can try and do. But ultimately, all we're doing is just taking a dirty cloth trying to wash away the dirt that's on us. And all that ends up doing is, is we're making ourselves dirtier and dirtier and dirtier. Because everything that we do, even those acts, those kind, those loving and generous acts, are still motivated by that dark, self-centered pride that's within us. 
If we are going to be clean, if we are going to have our shame washed away, we need Jesus, who is pure, who is perfect, who is powerful, who has no limits, no boundaries, to come and wash us. And it is through his act of washing us that we are then able to have a part with him. Jesus said, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. And Simon, in that moment, in 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 an overwhelming wave of love and emotion for Jesus and a recognition of all that Jesus was and, and wanting nothing to stand in the way, says, Lord, then wash all of me. Don't just stop at my feet. Get into the deepest part of my life. Into those secret places that that I try and, and, and guard that, that darkness that's within me. Wash it all away. And Jesus has this wonderful, wonderful response. Those that have had a bath don't need to wash because they are already clean. If we have come to that place where we have recognized that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and we have put our trust and our faith in His sacrifice to pay the penalty for our sin, that, that through His death we are washed clean. We have submitted to that kind of place. We have been cleansed. There is no dirt in us. The, a passage in, in 2 Corinthians 5.17 or 5.21 where, where Paul writes, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin so that we could then become the righteousness of God. There is a perfect cleansing that happens when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And, and it is a beautiful picture to see how Jesus took that sin. And the Bible's not a good way to make that picture. Here's a good thing that will show the evil and, and corruption of our lives. God says he took all of our sin and he laid it on Jesus. Jesus took all of that darkness, all of that self-centeredness upon himself when he died on the cross. And we are left in exchange given <laughs> the perfection of God. So you have been cleansed. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you've been cleansed. But we know that as we walk through life, our feet pick up some of the dirt, some of the dust, some of the unmentionable stuff that is out there in the world. And so there is this picture that Jesus is doing, giving us of this ongoing cleansing of our lives. 
that as we go about day to day and, and some of that ugliness in, the, in, in this world, the sinfulness that clings to us, we come to Jesus in confession. And he washes that away. It hasn't transformed who we are internally, that we are still cleansed. We still have had that back, and we are clean before God, but, but he washes away some of that extra stuff that's just kind of clinging to the outside, but hasn't done anything to our, our, our eternal presence before God. What, what, a, what a wonderful, wonderful picture that Jesus gives us here. But it goes beyond just this understanding of our relationship with God. That because we put our trust in Jesus that we are now washed clean and we can stand before a holy God in his presence without shame, without guilt, without sin because Jesus has taken it all on himself and we can now stand in his righteousness. That is all true, but this picture that Jesus is giving us doesn't stop there because he then goes on to say as he finishes washing all the disciples' feet and puts back on his outer garments and he stands before them and he says, do you understand what I've just done? You see, Jesus washing of their feet is representing his humiliation in, in sacrificing himself for his disciples. That he sacrificed himself on the cross for those who put their faith into him. He says, what you have just seen me do and what you will see me do because you will understand this more afterward, like what he said there earlier on in this passage. In light of the cross, we recognize that that humble service that Jesus extended to the disciples, he says, you go and do likewise. We have not been saved just for the fact of our salvation. Christ has saved us so that we can serve. <coughs> it's not just a service of bringing food to people, washing their car, looking after their children for them. <laughs> this is a service that sacrifices our very lives. God has not called us into a family of convenience. We are not a part of this congregation, this body, just when it fits into our schedule. We are called to serve one another, to sacrifice our very lives for one another. What if, what if 
exactly does that mean? <laughs> Before I sign on the dotted line and say, yes, that's what I want to be a part of. Well, there are places in this world where that literally means giving up your life for your brothers and sisters. There are places in this world where being a Christian is a death sentence. And there's all kinds of pressure on Christians to keep their the rest of the church community secret so that they don't jeopardize the lives of others. And there are those who are caught who are tortured to try and, and discover who are some of the others who are a part of this church. And there are Christians who are losing their lives because they refuse to give up their brothers and sisters. That's not our country yet. don't know... We see, I've seen a, a shift in our country and it is becoming less and less um, acceptable to be a follower of Jesus in our country and in our society. But we haven't got there yet. How do we sacrifice ourselves, sacrifice our lives for our brothers and sisters? I think part of it is a recognition that when we come together here on a Sunday morning or on a Thursday night Bible study or from the family Bible club, the ladies Bible study or, or any of those kinds of places, um, we are not coming and gathering here so that I can be fed, so that I can be encouraged in my faith. That will happen. That is part of the goal of all of this. But if each one of us is coming here to this place saying, I'm here and I need to be fed. Don't ask me to do anything else. Just feed me. We are missing the point. And I, I would suggest this. That you will be less fed if your intention to come here is just to be fed. In fact, the more that you sacrifice yourself and serve your brothers and sisters here in this place and in other settings, you will be more fed. Because it's going to be in that place that Christ will meet with you in a unique way. Because we see that's where he is. He's there serving other people. We should go and do likewise. What, what else does that mean? It means going beyond just these events. Thursday night, Sunday morning, all those kinds of things. This is also throughout our week that we are thinking about, praying for, 
and interacting with our brothers and sisters and, and finding ways that we can serve each other. The way that I can sacrifice myself in order to help out you in some way. And that can look like an infinite amount of different things. That's not easy to do. I, I admit it. That, that there are so many things that are going on in my life. It's hard for me to put aside all that stuff in order to be able to help somebody else out. And I'm not saying that all of that other stuff that we do is not serving other people. Um, the hours that we spend going to work in all of that, we have opportunity to be serving others, to sacrificing ourselves for other people. Um, in, our, in our recreation, going for a hike, reading a book, whatever other kinds of things that you might be involved in, in, in unwinding and all the rest of that kind of stuff. There is opportunity to serve in all of that as well. And this is not a message that is meant to put a guilt upon you and to fill up your calendars even more than they are already jam-packed full. But it is a mindset. <coughs> what am I doing today? What has God put in my hands that will give me an opportunity to serve, to sacrifice myself for other people. And in that, follow in his example that he has given, here by washing feet. It's uh, it's a good thing to think about. What are ways that we can serve one another? I, I actually, as I was preparing the sermon, I was trying to think. That I was convicted because Jesus says, uh, "For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you." And realize that there are uh, there are denominations, churches around that actually do on a regular basis wash each other, like physically wash each other's feet. And it's interesting. I, as I was thinking, I realized why don't we do that? Um, I think it's a fair question. Um, it's not exactly. We don't live in a culture that is exactly the same. Uh, we don't have it, all of those same kinds of issues of dirty feet. Um, and yet, it, in some ways, it is a, a, a symbolic act. And so even though our culture isn't exactly the same and the need isn't exactly the same, the, the symbol still can have power. As I thought about that and, and read about it and stuff, I realized this is different in, in a way from Jesus' command of 
participating in communion. Because we read all through the rest of the New Testament that that was something that the believers did on a regular basis, was participate in communion. And so they took that heart and, and made it a part of their regular worship. We don't really see that for foot washing in the rest of the New Testament. The only place that I could find it was in Timothy. Paul was writing about widows and was just recommending those widows who washed the feet of the saints, that those were the kinds of widows that you wanted to then support and, and encourage within your congregation. But other than that, there is really no mention of anybody else washing each other's feet. There are Old Testament references. So, And then also we're looking at, at uh, church fathers and stuff that really didn't come into practical use or where people were talking about it consistently until much later um, in, in the history of, of the church. But that being said, I think that I think it's something for us to, to consider to make a part of our service and love for one another. Is to from time to time physically wash each other's feet. Now I know some of you are getting nervous trying to think, when did I last clean my toes? Because he's going to ask me to come up and wash my feet. We're not going to do it today. Um, but uh, but I think it's something worth thinking about, and that's part of one of the things I wanted to talk about this morning. And I open it up to you. What do you think? Maybe some of you come from some of those church traditions where washing your feet was a regular thing, or at least an annual thing. I think there's a lot of churches on Monday, Thursday that that is one of the the services that they do is is wash the feet, just as Jesus did with his uh, with his disciples. Um, what, what do you think of, about that kind of a thing? And is there is there a way that we could create some kind of a meaningful expression of our service and love for each other that would follow in Jesus' example of serving, sacrificing ourselves for one another? I don't know. See, yeah, I knew there would be somebody that would have an idea. Sorry, oh, let me turn that up. Go ahead. I was just sitting here thinking that a friend of mine who's about 90 years old was telling me that they tried that at the Baptist church, but no ladies wanted to take off their pantyhose, so it was kind of a disaster. <laughs> but after tradition, I don't see it being effective in our culture, but I tell you, when you're older, you need someone to deal with your feet, because you can't reach them. So perhaps we could have a gift certificate thing available, and if you want someone to come and help you do your feet, yeah. you can take one and someone will come to your house and help you, because that's practical, and that's you know, that's real yeah. for us. Yeah, that's a great idea, too. Just thinking about the cultural norm around foot washing, that it was 
culturally something that had to happen in order. Not that I'm negating the relevance of it today, but I think about like the Saturdays that some of us have taken to build each other's houses to clean up some of the loose ends, whether it's a storm and there's extra brush or getting on top of some of the things that um, have fallen behind. And I know a lot of people have been blessed by that. Um, and I think for me, with my kids, like there can, we can raise kids to be in such an egocentrical framework. So like, okay, well, what sports are we going to do on Saturday or what? activities you want to do, then I just think, how much are we teaching them to serve others, right? And the times where I've taken my boys to help at these things on Saturday, like, they walked away with saying thank you, like, because it's been such a blessing to them that they're learning how to serve others, and um, I just think that a culturally relevant way to bless people in our community in a practical way. So whether it's with the gift of time and service, or whether it's, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe there could be some kind of, even like a practical aspect, like if someone needs winter tires and someone has four winter tires sitting in their shop, or if someone needs a couch and someone has an extra couch sitting in the garage or because I know we have a lot extra and I wonder if a lot of it is just not recognized because of a communication gap or um, yeah. Yeah, that's a really good idea. And I agree that uh, the Saturday work piece has been a great way of for our congregation to show that kind of self-sacrificing love for one another. And it's been also a great community building thing for, for those that participate, for those that have been receiving of that. There's just a good thing about being together. And um, yeah, absolutely, those kind of things are great and, and we need to um, find ways, more ways of doing that. Um, well, you know, Elder Gateway, Carl Bernie, one of the things we did as uh, new elders is we had a whole new team. We uh, got everybody in, into the Washington feed because it was a, a show of service from leadership. I thought that was a good, good symbolism. Yeah. Something else I thought was really interesting is in Ephesians 5, 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So a man to love the wives as their own bodies, he to love his wife of himself. And uh, leaders of the church represent Christ in the church and are washing each other's feet. So I, I think it's pertinent that the word is the water by which we wash each other. And, uh, and so there's the symbolism of physically washing, but then there's the word of God, which really is what cleanses us. So mm -hmm. that's a very important, important concept. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that, that it's our interactions together um, should include talking about God, allowing His Word to uh, to influence and guide the things that we we say, instead of just talking about all the fun stuff and everything. Um, allowing God's word to be a central part of those of those communications. That's really good. Thank you. Oh, one more last little point, sir. Bible says that evil communication is corrupted matters. So evil communication is corrupted matters. So the way you said it was right. The the word of God is the opposite of that. Yeah. So that was probably right. Thank you. So Pete made a journey to me, and part of that would be me go forward into this world after Sunday. Uh, we are meant to glorify him and bring the messages of who he is. And sometimes we know that that week ahead of us is going to be very difficult. That may be an opportunity to be served by our church and to willingly um, volunteer to have our feet. <laughs> exposed and to ask that blessing for our church family because sometimes those those moments where we serve God uh, in testifying about him where it's difficult we know that that's going to be difficult we need that support and that service uh, by others so maybe that's an opportunity possibly yeah (laughs) one of the reasons why I was debating whether to actually do foot washing because I think for us it's more humiliating being the washee than being the washer um, to actually get people to take their shoes and socks off so that somebody can look at their feet and wash them. But I, I, I love your connection there, Kirsten, is that that's true not just for our feet, but we so often hide our needs the places where we need help from others. And, and it's an important part of our family together that we open up so people can see the corns and the calluses of our lives and be there to offer the help and the, the assistance and the encouragement. I don't know if maybe this is more symbolic than practical, but um, for us in our society, I was thinking like we're more aware of germs and bacteria, but the the dirtiest part of our bodies are our hands. We're wearing shoes, so I wonder if like something regular where we wash each other's hands before communion or on communion Sunday or something where it's maybe not quite so humbling, but it's still an act of service and and symbolic and then the or the other one was our shoes. They're they're the feet that they're the dirty things. So um set up a shoe shine. Yeah there we go. That's what we need. Any other thoughts or insights? First Corinthians 12, Paul's talking about the body of Christ and that these different members of the body of Christ. So maybe it's worth considering who are the feet, the, the, 
but he talks about the unfunded parts and he talks about the homeless vessel. Maybe considering that inner body, sometimes there's a feet that may be going unnoticed that needs to be taken care of. That's a good point. Yeah. I would just like to thank this body of believers for the service that they do do because in my self not driving, it wasn't very pleasant for quite a while. Those who step forward to drive me, there's one, two, there's four here, and I want to thank them very much. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It certainly is. Um, there's a lot of things that, that we are doing well. Um, and, and it doesn't, doesn't mean we stop. We don't look for ways to do better. But yeah, there's a lot of things that are happening in, our, in this family um, for loving each other. Well, that's, I, I think it's, it's worth continuing that conversation and looking at what are some symbolic ways that we could express our self-sacrificing service to one another. And uh, I like the idea of connecting that with communion. Um, that's an interesting thought. So let's, let's continue talking about that and see how we can apply some of those things. Symbolically, but also then in day-to-day -day life. What are the ways that you are sacrificing yourself? What has God put into your hands that you would then be able to use that to serve somebody else? To show that love. How are, how are you sacrificing your calendar, your, uh, your time to serve the needs of other people within this family? Let's close in prayer. But as you are sitting there with your eyes closed, let me just remind you of the words of Jesus. If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Let me just encourage any of you that have not come to that place of submitting yourself to the cleansing touch of Jesus Christ. Come and talk with me, with somebody that you came with, somebody else that you know here that's in this place. You need to be cleansed by Jesus in order to experience His, uh, His presence the fullness of his love and to have the hope of eternity with him. Let me just pray for you right now. Let me just pray uh, for those that are in this place that have not come to uh, the point of their life where they have submitted themselves to you and your Holy Spirit is working in their heart right now, God. I just pray that you would uh, help understanding to come. That, uh, that the light of your truth would shine clearly in the darkness of the heart. And the result of that would be to then 
Say, yes, Lord, I want to be cleansed by you. I, I want to experience that bath of washing my whole self in your blood. And being cleansed from all of the dirtiness, all of the self-centeredness in my life. Father, I just pray that, that you would bring them to that place and, uh, and then we would have the joy of seeing them come to a full experience of your salvation. Lord, for the rest of us, I pray that we would, day by day, moment by moment, submit ourselves to your hand to wash our feet, to, to continually clean off the, the dirt and the grime that, that, that we pick up from being involved in this world, uh, the, the passions of our heart that, that, that sometimes pull us away and, and get our sights off of you, that you would cleanse that away, those habits that we have that, uh, that can, can pull us into a, a dark place, Father. We, we ask that your, your spirit would come and cleanse that away so that we can walk in the pureness of who you are, not only for our own sake, not only so that we can experience your presence with us all the time, but Lord, because there is a world that needs to know you and they, they need us to be walking in the light of your love moment by moment, day by day. So we ask God that you would cleanse us. And then that we as a family would step out in service, that we would receive that salvation that comes from you as a call than to go and serve others. And that this would be a family that would be characterized by its love, its self-sacrificing love for one another. And that we would reflect your character in that. We thank you for this family, for all the diversity that is here within this place and how that blesses us with all of those different ideas and different experiences and, and even different priorities. That you're weaving all of that together into a family that, 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 that shines out your glory. Let us be that more and more every day.